1: even when you're just sitting around, even when you're asleep, it can put you in a chronically high-stress state.
0: Stress is the inflammation that robs us of life, energy, and happiness. Our typical solutions for gut health and hormone balance have let a lot of us down. We're over-medicated and underserved. At The Less Stressed Life, we're a community of health-savvy women exploring solutions outside of our traditional Western medicine toolbox and training, To raise the bar and change our stories. Each week, our hope is that you leave our sessions inspired to learn, grow, and share these stories to raise the bar in your life and home. Today on The Less Stressed Life, I have Jesse Coomer, who is a human performance specialist, breath worker, renowned speaker in the field of breath work. He trains athletes, CEOs, first responders, military and everyday people who seek to optimize their performance, reduce anxiety levels and live a healthier life. He also describes himself as a recovering English professor. So I'll be curious about the transition from one to the other. Welcome,
1: Jesse. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Yes, I am recovering still. I did 11 years. I did 11 <laughs> years as an English professor and <laughs> it was great but yeah I'm just uh, focusing on this now. Yeah. And it's been a beautiful thing.
0: Tell me actually about the transition. Why yeah. why did you move toward breathwork? Was this something you had found for yourself?
1: It's interesting so it really all ties in together with how I found breathwork in the first place. So I have always been an extreme extrovert. So you'll always find me wanting to chat, always wanting to connect with other people. But I've always actually also, I've also always been uh, someone who's suffered from extreme social anxiety. <laughs> so, so it's this, this combination that growing up, especially, you know, started to manifest in high school and my twenties, I tried to do everything I could to address that anxiety. And of course, not having any tools available, I chose a lot of destructive paths and it was. In the efforts of getting out of a lot of those destructive paths, that I chose to go back to grad school. Mm. And one thing I loved was I always loved just literature, the philosophy of literature, the a lot of the things that everyone's hearing this and it's like, oh, okay, I have nothing in common with this person, <laughs> but I've always really been fascinated by that. And I've always loved to write. And so one of the things that I have found in transformation, and this is something I do a lot in my retreats. I work with clients and, and just, just basically helping a person step into the person they want to be is that a lot of times we focus on what we don't want to be and we try just to be that, not that, you know, and so something that I kind of fortunately just intuitively Went to and I said, "Okay, I don't like where I am now. I want to do something that I want to be. I want to be proud of myself for accomplishing some kind of a goal." And so, as I was leaving a life of you know drug addiction and and a lot of negative ways of, of addressing anxiety, at the same very the, the very same time, I, I leaned into the next big adventure. So as to You know, what I say sometimes is, you know, there's a part of yourself that has to die. So, a part Mm -hmm. of you can be born and I allowed that to be born. And I found out I just really like teaching things. It doesn't have to be English. And I I tell you what, if you can actually like teaching grammar and essay writing, I mean, I just assume there's pretty much nothing I won't like to teach. (laughs) So, during that time, I was still addressing a lot of my anxiety and I, I started doing things to help that, you know, uh, exercise, trying to take better care of myself, seeing just uh, obviously avoiding negative pathways of, of uh, dealing with stress and anxiety. And it was during the time being a professor that I started to try to, to meditate and quickly found that I wasn't a very good meditator. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It, it, <laughs> I, Most people are not. <laughs> yeah, right. And I would just sit down and I couldn't wait for it to be over. And But I was really dedicated to, I really wanted to make this something that worked for me because I knew there was a lot of value in it. And so from there, I was starting to try to find ways to become a better meditator. And that led me to a lot of research that led me to actual breathwork being the pathway that would work best for me. And from there, I became the breathworker. English professor which I actually was I did both for a long time for about 6 years I was the the English professor who okay this weekend I'm I'm mm. going to lead a retreat and then I got to come back late Sunday night so I can you know teach my you know research and rhetoric class on Monday morning and it just kind of slowly grew into something that was it was a real passion for me and I was even teaching it to my students especially during the pandemic when we returned to the classroom, we still had masks and we still had an obviously enormous amount of anxiety and, and stress. So when it was a nice day outside, I would say, Hey guys, I'd say, let's go outside and let's do some breathing techniques. And of course we all got to see each other's faces. We're like, Oh, okay. I had a totally different. You remember, you remember that whenever you'd see, you mm-hmm. met a person, the only way you knew them was, <laughs> was with a mask. And then they remove. And then it's like, oh, that was nothing like what I had pictured. <laughs> <laughs> but we we got to know each other in a better that way. And so ultimately, in 2020, I also published my book on breathwork called A Practical Guide to Breathwork. And it was a really big hit. And I was um really pleased. I was very pleased with that. And so before you know it, I had a lot of requests. And a lot of demands and I was doing two full-time jobs and I said, oh my gosh, I can't do this forever. So, I had to choose to move to the next thing. I I believe, you know, while I do coach people, I I have a lot of clients, I see myself still as an educator, you know. Mm -hmm. I think an educator is the person who's incredibly curious and just can't help himself or herself. He's like, well, Carl Sagan. He has the quote, you know, when you're in love, you want to tell the world. Mm -hmm. I think that's a teacher. You know, it's like, oh, my God, I love this thing. I got to tell people.
0: Yeah. So
1: so it was a smooth transition. It's I still feel like I'm an educator at heart.
0: I think that was a good story for anyone seeking a transition. I mean, there's a lot of we talk a lot about health in different capacity or more of a medical capacity here a lot. And there's a lot of people that have had a lot of burnout these past few years and they're oh, looking yeah. and transitioning and whatever. And, and what you just described is what a lot of us do. Even when I stopped doing what I was doing before what I'm doing now, it just kind of the one edges out the other sometimes, right? You just, you don't have to like stop one and start the other. You just dabble and then it starts to take over and then you're kind of tired <laughs> and then you just yeah. decide to eliminate one. The end. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> when it, well, when it outweighs I- the other. There in, there's a lot of advice out there to jump face first into this thing, right? It's like, man, if you've got a passion, you know, just quit your job and do that. And I could never do that myself. And ultimately, you know, I didn't know why for the longest time. And actually, this is part of the subject of my next book, which is the language of breath. And, and it's ultimately the philosophy that I have with breath work as a whole is that your conscious thinking part of you is only a very small sliver. And when you go against the other part, which is that unconscious part of yourself, mm-hmm. you're going to struggle in ways that it's going to be so uncomfortable because you're really fighting yourself. And what happens so often is that a person thinks, oh, I'm weak or "I what?" this other person just quit his job and then he did this other thing or whatever. And in reality, That other person had an unconscious belief that was like, yeah, of course I'm going to do that, you know? So for myself, and when I train uh, my clients, especially when it comes to behavioral changes, when it's like, there's a behavior I don't like that I do, and I can't seem to stop doing it. Mm. We work, we obviously, we, you know, we're always working with our breath, but we're especially focusing on the fact that your unconscious self is it has an opinion on what you do and it's going to be uncomfortable and it's going to make you very uncomfortable if it believes that your conscious actions are in conflict with what's best for you. Hmm. And maybe I skipped ahead a little bit, but ultimately, you know, that I I think that conflict, that inner conflict is at the crux of much of our suffering. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's you know what I mean? And it's this, this, this thing that, No one talks about, no one knows about. And, you know, I had to be this many years old. (laughs) You know, it was one of those things that I just, it blew my mind, but we've known this for decades. We've known there is a part of us that it builds patterns. It's, it's a very, it's very good at seeing patterns in your life. It will form a worldview and it's always trying to help you to survive and thrive within. Your environment and within your social structures, but it's not always right. Mm -hmm. It's just it's and it doesn't have to be right. the The whole point is that it's keeping you from harm, and so we're always dealing with this aspect of ourselves. and And this is this is ultimately the focus of my my breathwork philosophy. The language of breath is is kind of (laughs) to stop you know torturing ourselves to stop you know to form that better relationship within.
0: Well, and I want to talk a lot about conscious and unconscious self and the way you just kind of teased talking about that Mm -hmm. was, you know, different things land with different people. And so one of either I can look at it as a challenge, a positive or negative challenge is that I feel like right now I'm charged with helping people understand that they need breath work without them thinking that they need it. Right. Because I was a person who didn't Mm -hmm. think that I needed it. And then I experienced Mm -hmm. it. And then I was like... Well, this makes a big difference, right? We can control <laughs> our nervous system completely with it. Like we are we can technically affect this. Now, as an educator, as someone who is teaching, I know that you do teach breath work to kids. Yeah. I don't know if it's in middle school or just high school. So, in the vein of this, before we jump back into some of the deeper stuff, if you're teaching middle school or high school kids, what do you yeah. jump in first? How do you get their attention to help them? think, Oh, maybe I'm kind of interested in this. Where would you start before you even get started?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So typically I will teach high school uh, is the youngest that, that I t- usually teach like in groups. And then beyond that, it would be, okay, could you teach our family or could you teach, uh, you know, I have a son who, you know, I, I was just kind of hoping you would check out his breathing and make sure he, you mm-hmm. know, so, so ultimately it doesn't matter. So I've got a seven year old boy who I try to, you know, I'm like, okay, you probably won't thank me someday because, well, that's, that's how we are. But, <laughs> but ultimately I, you know, I want him to grow up and I want him to understand himself in a way that I didn't for the longest time. There was nothing wrong with me. You know, it's just that I didn't understand what was going on. And so I made bad decisions. So, but the question is important because how do you get buy in? Right. And so for high schoolers and just really for all humans, really, right? Uh, for all humans, you have to have the why you have to have a reason why you're going to at least give it a chance. And, and that as long as you have that, then, then ultimately there's a tradition of breath work that just says willingness is enough. Mm-hmm. And, and if you can get the willingness, I mean, everything else will follow. Now, how do you get willingness, especially with young people? So with high school students, ideally, you get to know the student as a person. We, we often want to have kind of a blanket thing. And Mm. that led to, I remember when I was in high school, you know, it's like, Hey, school's cool. (laughs) You know, and it, nothing's more of a turnoff than, (laughs) than it's like, okay, you're not even getting it right. You know? So, so you want to kind of get to know the person. I would say if you have a high school student or a middle school student who's interested in sports, then you want to go with the sports route. You, because every person understands what it's like to be breathless. So you say, okay, what if I told you that we could make it so that you can run faster and for longer or jump higher no you know all these things, would you be interested in something like that? Well of course, you know make me into Superman let' let's do this. And so a lot of times for my young people, I usually go with breath work that is more athletically based. Because they see the function in it. A lot of, it's very difficult for an unformed brain to have the introspection to say, I think I'm dealing with something to have that metacognitive reflection is that's not to say that it doesn't happen because I do have a lot of young people who have that emotional intelligence early on. But when it comes to the why, oftentimes a young person hasn't really had enough experiences to compare it with to say, you know what, I think I'm dealing with social anxiety in an unhealthy way. Are there any alternatives? Now, having said that, I do a, a full workshop uh, at some places where, especially the, the the high schools that generally have me though, okay, for better or worse, are where the students are very motivated already. Mm-hmm. Um, and And so, I would love for it to be taught I would say in every part. So elementary, middle and high school, you know, and and expanding as you go. Hey, okay. So you've got a nervous system. I had, you know, you go to biology class and you kind of silo the information that you learn, sadly enough. And so, yeah, okay. There's this nervous system or whatever. I didn't remember really getting any applicable information when I was in school about, okay, how does this apply to me and how can I have an experience, how can I really experience this? And, and so explaining, okay, there's, there's two main branches to your autonomic nervous system. Okay. So you've got the active and you've got more relaxed, right? So, so we might call that the sympathetic dominant from, from my, Hey, if you're listening to a podcast, you're already a nerd. So, mm-hmm. so you're our kind of people, right? And so the sympathetic dominant side, the parasympathetic dominant side, Okay. So you've got these, so once for activation to get you moving around and doing actions, the other one is to help you relax, to help you recover, to heal and, and, and digest your food and all these things that we need to do on a regular basis. So you have these two modes. If I would have known that, I think just knowing that early on is like, okay, there's two basic modes. Whenever you're in those two modes, your body expresses itself differently. Right. So your blood pressure, your, you know, your hormones, your ability to digest food, a lot of these things are going to express themselves differently. And stress hormones can cause you to have, you know, four nights sleep, extra anxiety. And in many cases, acne, a lot of the things that we suffered from when we were younger. And so I would say if they already have an interest, go with that interest. But if they don't, I would say, Suit it for what they're going through at the time. So for instance, my son is learning, he's seven years old and, you know, first, second, third grade, humans are dealing with like, how do I, if I get upset, what am I supposed to do? Right. Am I supposed to, you know, it's just these simple things. Let's see. Uh, I could hit my, my friend, <laughs> right. I could cry. I could run away. I could. And, and so what I teach my son is a little technique and again, this is for for kiddos, it is called Darth Vader breathing. Now, you're familiar with this, right? But it's not sniff, sniff, poo. A nice sniff, deep breath, ultimately a deep breath down into the tummy with your nose. And then you know how Darth Vader breathes on the exhales. And, and it makes it kind of fun, right? There needs to be an element of fun, especially when they're little and say, okay, when you get upset, I want you to breathe like Darth Vader, right? And my son. Now everybody's a little different, but my son finds that to be hilarious. And so he, you know, now does he always do it? Maybe, maybe not, right? But it's it's something that helps him in those moments. And then, of course, it diffuses the situation. That you know, it's like he's being funny, and and people are like, and so a lot of little other kids will do it too. So now you have a bunch of seven year olds who would have been fighting, all breathing like Darth Vader together. You know, mm-hmm. much easier problem to deal with. When they get into this, obviously the big thing is, is like, hey, wait a minute. Uh puberty is killing me. Right. And so, so it's easier to say, hey, listen, if you want to be a little bit more relaxed and more confident, you want to be a little more confident. Okay. So you have an active state and a passive state. So what you want to be is somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. You know, I you know, I remember just like, man, I just wish I could relax, but I can't. Okay. So, so then, you know, we might do like the physiological sigh or a a sniff, sniff, poo type of a thing. So, so again, I wish I could give everyone an audio of that. So the name I gave it the name I, I actually I like it. I, I like
0: all these names. I, Let's go through all I've your heard, breathwork names,
1: Jesse. I love using like things that kind of like exemplify. It makes it simple. I actually didn't give it the name Sniff Sniff Poo. I heard it from another breathworker somewhere a long time ago. But but I, that that one's like yeah, I'm using that one. Mm. Um, and but Sniff Sniff Poo is is your first inhale is about seventy five percent through the nose, and then you you fill up the rest of the way with the next sniff. And then you just relax the exhale with a p sound. You're making it poo. It's lengthening the exhale as long as you can. So sniff, sniff, poo, right? And of course, you probably. Oh, you didn't really hear are
0: that. saying poo. I always thought you said poof with an f on the end, but your oh. mic was blocking it off. But you yeah. even funnier so. for kids.
1: <laughs> exactly. So I I think the biggest thing is so breath work, meditation, a lot of this stuff. We have to think about our body And when it comes to breath work, there's a lot of garbage out there. So, so we have what I call, at least, the clickbait garbage, which is, hey, you know, one simple trick and it'll fix you for life or all these things where it's like, hey, I don't have any stress anymore because I learned this simple technique. And there's no technique that will make life without stress because that is part of being a human. <laughs> so, when you read those headlines, just don't click. I mean, that's all it is, is clickbait. And then there are in breath work, there's, there's some like schools where it just has to be one. This is our only way of doing it. And maybe the technique is fantastic because it's the only way don't look at anywhere else, but ultimately, and this is where my whole philosophy comes from is like, you've got to think about, it's ultimately a way of communicating within yourself. And that's the crux of it because a part of you is trying to help you, but it's causing you discomfort. So this thing we call anxiety. Mm-hmm and the stress response, right? That feeling that we all hate (laughs) or love. I mean, adrenaline junkies are real. I mean, it is, it is a thing, you know, to be an adrenaline uh, addict.
0: You have your own definition for anxiety. I don't know if it's your definition, but I wrote it down from last time I heard you talk about it. Define, tell me how you define it.
1: So, well, it's interesting. So, so anxiety, uh, you know, of course you could, the Danish philosopher Søren Kierkegaard once said, Right. There's the English professor in me, right? So so anxiety is the dizziness of freedom. And and I always love that because it's it is the you have optionality, but it's like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Right. Now the the biological feeling of anxiety, it's interesting. So there's a part of your brain called the locus ceruleus. And when you are in states where at least unconsciously, the, the part of your unconscious. So so when I say this, when I say unconscious, I don't mean you're asleep or passed out. I mean, right now, currently, all of us are taking in about 11,000 pieces of information per second. We can only consciously use and process about 40 to 50 pieces of information. The rest of that is processed by the, what we, what in some, some circles, they call the adaptive unconscious. It's a part of ourselves. It's everything from. Your limbic system, your, your, the subconscious area, right? Your brain stem, all these things that, that are there behind the scenes, so to speak. Well, that is processing an enormous amount of information that you're not really aware of. We're, we're just not aware of this. But when it decides that, okay, based on the patterns of my life that I've seen in thus far in my life, I believe that this is going to be a potentially dangerous situation or that I need to activate myself in some way. Okay, and got to remember, all of this is very primal. We were hunter gatherer society for most of human history. We've only been modern, you know, for maybe 150 years. Well, that part of you is going to say, okay, so we need to activate, and it will start activating your your nervous system, and your act your your sympathetic dominant side will become more active. So you'll start having more stress hormones. But what happens is, <laughs> it's so interesting. It will give you dopamine and that's a reward chemical that that typically we associate, you know, okay, I'm going to pick up my phone and I'll get that dopamine hit or whatever. But that is a neurochemical that is actually a – that it, it actually encourages you to action. That's mm-hmm. your unconscious saying, go figure something out. Go find out what's going on over there. Go solve the mystery. That's why we love mysteries as humans. I mean, we just have to know an unsolved mystery is just like, oh man, well, what about this? What about this, Right we love that and it's built in it that is part of our organism well what happens is and this is all controlled by a part of your brain called the motivational network and it's actually the thing that decides what we worry about. We don't, you ever notice that we don't really get to decide that, Isn't that <laughs> but funny? A part of you does. Yeah.
0: We think we're so in control. I just, I have to yeah. stop and underline oh. a couple of things that, that you're delving into, um, yeah, yeah. because we've talked about them here and there on the podcast. And I just want to make sure, I think I just want to put these in bold. So mm. we've got our conscious self, unconscious self. And our conscious self is maybe 5% of what actually happens. We think we're in control. And our unconscious self is actually taking in, uh, to quote you, 11,000 pieces of information. It learns patterns quickly. It's automatically working on stuff in the background. It's like, oh, I just keep picking up my phone to check things, right? It's learning this pattern really quickly. And it's what is creating like the internal emotions that we don't even realize sometimes, mm, or we think yeah. is really normal. I used to think it was really normal to pit out every time I'd speak in front of people. And I was like, oh, that's fine. Mm. You know, it's just how it is. But that was my <laughs> unconscious self just presenting how it really felt. Right. Yeah.
1: So trying to help you.
0: Yeah. Trying to help. So anyway, back to you, what you were talking about is we don't get to decide the things that create worry in us.
1: Right. Yeah. And if this happens, like if you think about our ancestors, Okay, so this is fantastic for our survival for the vast majority of human history because, okay, you're out in, you know, the the, on the hunt or out in the wilderness. And, you know, there's so many pieces of information to process, the unconscious self can start to pick up patterns. And suddenly, I observe there's a predator or a prey or something like that. And great, that's great. But You know, for us, it's different. It'll be like three in the morning and you wake up in the middle of the night and the thing that didn't bother you whenever you went to bed, somehow you got to solve that mystery. You've got to figure out what so-and-so is going to say the next day. I don't know what my boss is going to say, but your motivational network says, I know what to do. I know what to do. Chris just needs a little bit more dopamine, (laughs) right? And then eventually you're like, there's nothing I can do. And then your unconscious is like, I know what to do. But it's always living in the present. So it doesn't understand tomorrow, right? And so it says, you know what we'll do? We will release a neurochemical called norepinephrine and it'll be released globally within your brain from the locus aurelius. And what that does is heighten all of your senses so you can see more sharply. You can your sense of. Uh, smell it actually increases you can you can smell more sharply hearing all your tactile senses are are heightened so you're more sensitive in every single way and for our for our ancestors this was great right because if we were hunting if we were gathering we want to see the predator before it sees us we want to hear it before it hears us smell it before it smells us that was awesome then but here we are in our bed at three in the morning like just freaking out like it's like oh my god everything's just kind of coming in and that is ultimately what we know as the modern condition of anxiety it is a mismatch between our actual circumstances and our unconscious self trying to help us so we will have anxiety which is ultimately the unconscious part of you trying to activate because you got to remember most of our human history, if you had a problem, there was a physical action you could take to solve that problem. It's not that way anymore and and everything's more complex. And so, we're actually experiencing what our organism is trying to do is help us, is trying to say, okay, fine, here we go. You've got all the materials you need to, you know, not get eaten by the jungle cat, (laughs) but it's a different world. And so, this mismatch You know, I I always say that we are a relationship within ourselves and we're a relationship with the rest of the world outside of ourselves. Mm. And that's that's a mismatch we have is those relationships. There's a mismatch in it and it causes us anxiety Mm. and it can lead to a lot of suffering.
0: Yeah. Okay. We have an imbalance in our conscious self and unconscious self, right? We can name them. Are yours named, Jesse? Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. (laughs) What are they named? So the conscious self and the unconscious self. Yeah. Ultimately, the, there's, oh, I thought you gave him an,
0: personas. That's what I meant.
1: Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, there's conscious Jesse and unconscious Jesse. I even, <laughs> okay. I have a, an exercise that I often will lead people in and it is simply just close your eyes and then just picture a smiling you smiling right back at yourself. And it's saying, Hey, I'm just trying to help you. Right. I, hey, I, I'm here. I'm here. I'm your, I'm your best friend. And, you know, I've had best friends that will try to help me. And I'm like, I really wish you weren't trying to help me right now. It's <laughs> it's kind of making things worse. And we're never not going to have that relationship, right? So we know everything
0: when, about you. Yeah. Oh, my
1: God. Yeah. And this is an interesting relationship, right? So you have a relationship with yourself and no one knows you better than yourself. And, and the unconscious you is where I mean, that's where your personality resides. That's where your sense of humor resides. All of the things. I mean, it's it's really an interesting thing, and and it never turns off. The conscious you can turn off, but the unconscious you will not turn off. That's why, like for instance, that's why optical illusions. Some of them, yeah, you know, the one where the they have the two lines, and then the ones the arrows that are pointing out, and the arrows are pointing in, and you're like, I've seen this trick before, so I know they're the same length, but it still looks like. One is longer than the other. That's because the unconscious you doesn't stop and you can't consciously tell it not to. It's why alarm clocks work. You know, it it never goes to sleep. It's it's always listening. It's always trying to help you, but it's not always right. And so this is where breath work in play, because using our breath, we can actually communicate with that part of ourselves in a way that we could not. Otherwise, you you can't consciously think. You know, I think we've all tried this, right? Relax, <laughs> right? Just like think, relax, 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 mm-hmm. relax. It, it, that doesn't work. So, yeah, we can't the think language our heart rate abri- differently.
0: <laughs> can't yeah, think it, it into it. Well, I mean, it's funny though. We can think it yeah. into elevating, right? We can think it into elevating, but the reverse is different. Technically,
1: right? you can do both, but it's really hard to make that happen. You know, people that are champion meditators and things like that can accomplish that, you know, mm-hmm. v- after, you know, a decade. Not a champion know, meditator. Of, right I'm now. not a champion meditator, right? Mm-hmm. And the good news is, is that you don't have to have actually recently was shown in research that breath offers more release and relief from anxiety and stress than meditation mm-hmm. and mindfulness. So, so you don't have to to do those things. I still recommend doing them, but, but breathwork offers us a way to speak to that part of ourselves in a really focused, uh, way that is. And and then when you learn how that language works, you can actually start to hear, Oh, okay. Message received. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, and, and you can really have an amazing relationship within yourself.
0: It's reasonable to say that if we're feeling a little out of sorts, out of alignment, just kind of on un, maybe unfulfilled is not the right word, but just kind of funky, right? Mm. That examining a relationship with self is a reasonable place to start because that's going to mirror our relationship with the outside world. Be- Absolutely. Before we get into, I want to talk just through some different breathwork tools. And I mean, you did yeah. You already talked about Darth Vader and you talked about Sniff Sniff Poo. Yeah. I have a couple I have a couple more questions about that. Before we do, you touched on this just a little bit, but can you talk a little bit more about our addiction to dopamine and how yeah, our brain sure. is constantly looking for this hit? Because sometimes I don't know about you, but for me, I always like to understand self. And that's what we've been talking mm. a lot all about. And so I feel like when we understand how our brain is wired to crave this, it's helpful in breaking the loop in the pattern.
1: Absolutely. So something that So we have a lot of senses that help us orientate ourselves. So for instance, we have a sense of proprioception. So for those of you guys listening or watching, if you close your eyes, your body doesn't disappear, right? You know where you are, you can feel where you are, you can feel how you feel, right? You can see, there's a lot of senses that will tell us things. We don't have a way of understanding the quality of information that we're getting. Or the quality of nutrition that we're getting. Like you can't taste something. If it tastes kind of earthy, you might say, oh, it probably has vitamins in it. But that's a guess, right? We don't have any sensors that are directly related to the quality of anything that comes into our minds or our bodies for the most part, especially when it comes to information. And you have to understand information is something that we have so much more of now than we've ever had. It's been estimated that the average person living today ingests more information in one day than the average person did before 1850 for their entire lives. I mean, just insane. Now, dopamine is a neurochemical that has served our species very well. And it's the reason why we were able to circumnavigate the globe. It's what helps us to eliminate uncertainty that can cause us harm. It's the thing that, for instance, if uh, it, like, it's the thing at nighttime, I don't know if you're like me, but you lay down in bed and you're like, did I lock the doors? Mm-hmm. And it won't let you go to sleep until you know for sure, because it's it's there to help you eliminate uncertainties that might hurt you And then it's also there to help you to discover new opportunities that could help you. So, those are the two basic functions, right? And and to explore your surroundings is to do that because, well, maybe there's fertile, you know, hunting grounds over here or maybe there's another tribe and we can find a partner that's outside of this tribe because, man, they've all been taken, right? And so, for the longest time, our dopamine systems were – they were not stimulated as hard because we had fewer uncertainties. We still had a lot of uncertainty, but we didn't have as many. Now, because of the amount of information we receive and we have no way of knowing if it's good or not, right? Is that we have no way of knowing is, is this quality information? Is this true? Well, I have to do a lot of conscious thinking and figuring out to figure out if it's true. And that's just one piece of information. And we get thousands of pieces of information every day now. So dopamine is. You'll find that the vast majority of us in the modern world are swimming in dopamine. We have more dopamine in our brains. And then in addition to that, we will will do things like, and hey, I'm not bashing on coffee. I drink it every morning, all right? But that makes us more sensitive to dopamine uh, mm. that's already in our system. So dopamine feels good. And it it also has a very positive function when it's used appropriately. But we also have way, that dopaminergic urge. That they've short-circuited the way these things are meant to work. So we have in the modern well, humans have the two major drives. We have a reproductive drive and the dopaminergic drive. Hmm. And so we've figured out ways to make a shortcut so, so that you can get the satisfaction a lot faster. It used to be you had to work and toil and I mean just all kinds of stuff in order to get satisfied. But now I can just look here on my cell phone or you know, I can there's so many ways that you can satisfy that dopaminergic urge. Now the urge to check your phone, right? I think most people, whether you admit it or not, before you go to bed, right? Before we go to bed, we we look at our phones and, and we exhaust ourselves looking, okay, check all my socials, check all my emails or whatever. And that's because that's the same thing that our ancestors were doing. For their living situation. Okay. I'm going to check to make sure there's no snakes or bears or things like that when I become unconscious. But now instead of just looking around and saying, okay, it looks pretty safe. Now we have an infinite number of possible problems and it's not even limited to our own surroundings. I know what's going on across the world. I know about climate change. I know about all these things that there's really no way for me to ever as an individual completely solve these things. But my dopamine is like, you need to solve those things. Your motivational network is saying, oh yeah, there's a problem. Well, we better figure out the answer. And so we are quite literally swimming in dopamine most of the time. Yes, there are some people who have low amounts of dopamine, but the vast majority of us who have a healthy dopaminergic system probably could deal with unplugging a little bit. We could deal with taking some time out in nature and getting away from all of these information sources because it's those information sources that we say, okay, well, I'm just going to watch the next story on the news Mm -hmm. because it might be something important that will be there for my survival or for me to to thrive. What is the next bit of information? And there's always a next bit of information now, right? So yeah, the modern person, we have to have ways to break through that dopamine, what I call the dopamine feedback loop in my book. Because what happens is you'll never there's so many things you can never actually solve so many uncertainties you can never you can never un you know cover so many places that are at least now there's not physical places maybe that are uncharted, but there are so many uncharted places you know metaphorically and maybe technologically that are uncharted that if you just constantly follow your dopamine you'll never rest. You'll never have any real peace. So this is where our breath work can be a huge, huge help just to break that cycle, to break through that dopamine feedback loop that we as modern humans tend to suffer from
0: hmm Let's talk about some types of breath work. Let me start with one that you mentioned, but we didn't talk more about. Yeah. It may have left us with question marks. You said, oh, sometimes with kids, if I want them, if I want to pique their interest, run fast or mm-hmm. whatever, we'll do some athletically-based breath work. Yeah. What does that look like? Or how would you define that? What does that mean?
1: So, yeah. So, the three major, I guess, schools of breath work, the three major types, one would be functional breath work. And then another would be more of the autonomic nervous system regulation, physiological changes. And then the last one would be integrative breath work like theta breathing, right? And so what I would do with the athletes is go over functional breathing. So the actual act of breathing. So the average athlete, they did some research on college athletes recently and it came back that 90% of college athletes and we're talking about healthy people uh, have dysfunctional breathing patterns. Simply having a dysfunctional breathing pattern. In even when you're just sitting around, even when you're asleep, it can put you in a chronically high stress state. And so I cover a lot of, okay, this is how you're supposed to be breathing. And we, we undo a lot of dysfunction. And then in addition to that, we will do hypoxic training. So when you are hypoxic, you are, ha- you have low blood oxygen saturation. There are techniques that you can use. That will allow you to do that intermittently. If you had low oxygen saturation long-term, that would be a bad thing. But whenever we do certain techniques, we can reduce your blood oxygen saturation low enough and short, just long enough that your body will produce EPO, which will then produce more red blood cells, which increases your oxygen carrying capacity. That's what athletes do when they do altitude training. And then we also want to address their CO2 tolerance. So CO2 being the molecule that whenever it is elevated or whenever there's a certain level of it, it causes you to have the urge to breathe. It's incredible what we can do when we make friends with that. And it's uncomfortable. No one likes it. But it's something that it can really open up the range of of athletic performance in ways that very few other styles of breathwork can. So we work with those things. We want to have functional breathing. We want to have a healthy CO2 tolerance, and we want to be able to carry as much oxygen in our blood as we can.
0: This was helpful for you to talk about the schools of thought around this, because if I learned this, it wasn't didn't stick for me before, but I had taken a class, a course in functional breathwork from a physical mm. therapist, and it was all about that, right? It was all about yeah. functional breath, whereas, you know, I just finished the, that's how I met you, was with the Theta yeah. Breathwork certification that's integrative. Um Right. The third one is autonomic, you said? Did I make... Right,
1: right. Tell us what that looks like. So every... Really, when it comes down to it, everything breath is going to have some kind of an influence on your autonomic nervous system. So every breath you take, whether you mean to do it or not, it's either influenced by or it's influencing your nervous system via that pathway. Like for instance, when I train police officers, firefighters, EMTs, military we focus a lot on autonomic nervous system because we understand that typically there's a lot of research that shows when you're in a heightened state of of sympathetic dominance. And this is when we we might call it fight or flight. And when you get even more stimulated, you would maybe say fight, flight, freeze, right? Well, we can't have people who are in charge of, you know, helping people in a burning house, freezing or making dumb decisions because, and I will say dumb decisions because it's also shown that the more stressed that we become, the more heightened our anxiety is, whether it's whatever reason. We tend to have a lower amount of cognitive power, so so our cognition reduces dramatically as we become more stressed. So with especially that group, and of course athletes are the same way. We're, we're I mean we're all the same way when it, so I when I train CEOs and all these things, they want to make better decisions. So okay, we have to make sure that we're not. Heightened. Yes, you want to be activated. Of course, if you're an athlete or if you're running into save people, you want, you're, it's not like you're going to take a nap, but we want to make sure to, to be really careful. And so we can throttle that. So we're making good decisions because I mean, if you're the person in charge, you've got to be performing in every way. So when it comes to autonomic nervous system protocols in the language of breath, we do all three of these things, by the way, because all three of them are really interconnected. It, and and so I what I've done with the language of breath, I ultimately I tried to have like a, a unified theory of all breath work, just really try to bring it all together. But when we look at the autonomic nervous system, that's oftentimes I like to call it the the Rosetta stone of breath work and your nervous system. and it ultimately allows you to say, okay, these things in my physiology are manifesting in this way. Wow, I must really be activated or I must, maybe i'm not so much and so i train people first of all with okay simple things like heart rate or you know the, you know okay, check to see where this is and okay how does this feel and then ultimately we graduate to really work with that sense of interoception and for those who if you've not heard of that that word before the interoception is our ability to it's ultimately our sense of internal awareness and once you can become really in tuned with that then you're listening to your partner right that's that unconscious self it's going to manifest this way in sensations and changes in physiology and heart rate changes breathing changes all sorts of things and the more you get in touch with that in a real educated way it's, okay i know what this is and why this is doing this then you can really just man i've got a great relationship and oh 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 my unconscious is it's it's upset or it's it's telling me this but okay my conscious self understands the situation, and I, I'm going to speak back to that, and so so that way we're having that positive relationship within ourselves. So we do that with autonomic nervous system protocols. We we can do it with other things, but generally, when you think breathing technique, you know, I like to say in the language of breath, that's a phrase to speak to the unconscious self to say, okay, should we calm down? Should we activate? Should we stay in kind of like a playful mode? Where should we be?
0: Yeah. I have two more things that I think would be of service. One is, again, our brains just like to see proof, right? It's yes. Probably part of the dopaminergic. Um, of course, yeah. urge here. So tell me one or two stories or maybe even three or tell me about some cool things that you've seen as a result of doing or people doing breath work. Like what are some things that you're like, wow, that is so cool. Yeah. I love my job. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Okay. So one of the things that I've seen, I was talking about first responders, so that this first thing that comes to mind, I do a retreat each year for first responders in the Midwest. It's called the Great Midwestern Reset. This year, it's in May. So 2023, it's in May. And I go over all three of these things. It's a deep dive in the language of breath. And I had an officer who, when we went through functional breathing, she... I got to her because I check everybody out and she says she kind of with a a scared look in her face, I don't think I can. I don't think I'm activating my diaphragm at all. I don't think I can. Mm. And sure enough, she was really struggling. That's a primary breathing muscle that is fundamental to proper breathing and to so much when it comes to how you're speaking to your unconscious. She was breathing heavily in her shoulders and her upper chest and, you know, Not to go on and on about that, but that's ultimately a way of sending a a stress message. So if you're staying in that top part of your breath wave, that's generally going to send the stress message. Now, you gotta remember this woman was a police officer in a really her beat for the longest years was in a is like very, very high violence area. She had been I, I know she had multiple times where, you know, Thank God she was wearing that that vest, right? So this is a person who's had a lot of stress just on a regular daily basis. It's a person who is in a chronic state, right, of stress and what they call hypervigilance, especially in this field. And it had really had a huge effect on her natural breathing. Well, she was at this retreat because she she's like I I've got to have something. I, something's got to change. I you know I I know that I've got a lot of the symptoms of. PTSD. I've got a lot of the symptoms of, you know, what they call hypervigilance, which ultimately leads to so many negative consequences. And so gave her a smile and said, hey, this is okay. I did her through some basic exercises to help reactivate those muscles. Before she was done with the retreat, she was doing better, but she still had a long way to go. Yeah. Um, and so then later she checked back in with me, hey, I think I've got this. This is going really well. And she said, you know what? I teach at the police academy. And we need this. This has changed my life. I'm, I'm sleeping better. My focus is better. I can tell like a noticeable change. And I'm just really blown away at like how something as simple as just where my breath was, like not even really powerful, what we would like in the breathwork world is like life-changing breath. But it was life-changing breathwork. And it was simply functional breathing and a few breathing techniques that she could do functionally. and. Actually, now she was a spearhead at this police academy in Indiana. And now she was like, we need to certify. We need to teach the next generation. And so I developed, thanks to her, I developed a certification just for first responders. And she is going to be in the very first class. You know, this woman who could not, I mean, it was really not a thing to, I mean, she was not able to activate her diaphragm is now not only living better herself sleeping better, feeling better in every way. But now she's saying, I need to share this with the next generation so that people don't have to suffer the same way I did. So, that to me was like, oh, you know, (laughs) it's such an honor to work with people when not only did it change her life, but now she's trying to help change the lives of her profession. You know, I've had people with phobias. I've worked with people with phobias a lot. Actually, I had a guy who had a phobia. He was a CEO of a uh, online company, big, like really big company. And he had started to develop a phobia of flying. And this is not good when you're a CEO of a company that has to, he has got to fly all over the United States and all over the world. And so he reached out to me and he didn't take it seriously, as seriously as maybe he, he, he should have at first. It's like, yeah, okay, yeah, we'll do this breathing technique and whatever. And didn't well, really practice. Well, why did he reach out to
0: you if he wasn't going to take it seriously? i am just asked this out of curiosity yeah, because a, I've had people... I mean, this happens question. to me sometimes too,
1: but... Yeah. Well, and, and it's because I think all coaches go through this too, but there is a certain degree of it works when I'm with you. And then when I'm not with you, I just don't think about it anymore. And I go about my regular life and then I'll see you next week whenever it'll work again. And then... We're human beings. We have to have a lot of compassion for ourselves (laughs) because we're all liable to do this now and then. And it's something where it's like, okay, now you fixed me, right? Or, you know, it's it's this thing where maybe sometimes they're dependent on the coach to make sure I'm doing it right. And by myself, I don't necessarily feel comfortable doing it. Or it's just a matter of fitting it into our lives. There's, you know, we've all got our hangups. Yeah, for sure. And I don't know what his hangup was necessarily. This has been quite a few years ago, but he was always beating himself up whenever we got on the next call. He's like, I didn't do my homework. And i I'm like, it's okay. But I mean, it is your practice. It's not me. Well, one time he got on a plane and he hadn't been doing his homework and he started to notice he felt the anxiety come up and he tried to do a technique that is good for going to sleep which is the worst thing you can try to do when you're in a heightened state. Like you're starting to hyperventilate. Well, hey, let's let's breathe in for four seconds, out for eight seconds. Let's try that, right? A 12-second breath. And so, he just had the worst flight ever. And then he came back and he said, listen, we need to make this happen. So, uh, yeah. So, then we really started working on it. And eventually, he was able to fly without hating life. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, he was miraculously cured. But he was able to fly without taking whatever drug that he sure, had got prescribed. Uh, like, no, no, it's, uh, Xanax. He was mm-hmm. able to not have to take that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, so he, that was a huge win. I had a woman that had a phobia of driving on the highway, especially, and she wanted to take her, her grandson to the zoo. And so we slowly worked our way to helping her. We, we went through a lot of techniques, a lot of just grounding, a lot of getting to know your own self because what happens so often is that we won't be able to we're not a, always able to listen to the language that our unconscious is saying until it's screaming at us and then it's kind of hard to go yeah. anywhere from there so we really worked a lot on awareness and and anyone who works with the language of breath is working a lot with awareness it's and everyone everyone wants to skip that part right we all want to skip that because boring you know i just you know But that's the foundation of all positive changes. Ultimately, awareness. But yeah, she was able to make it to the zoo with her grandson, and she still doesn't like driving near semis. You know, that still gives her some. She's like, I still don't want, don't like doing that. I'm just going to. If if there's one on the road and it's going a little slower, I'll just go slow and not pass it. But she wasn't able to drive on the highway, Mm. and then now she's able to. It's like an hour drive. On the highway. Yes, if there's a semi, she's just gonna go behind it. No big deal. I asked her, Do you do you want to work on that? And she's like, you know what? I think I'm okay for now.
0: I can you empathize know? with her. I was hit by a semi once um well, in it, high school. I totally should have died. And I had I was like freaked out for like the moments passing a semi for years uh, afterwards. So I'm sure there was a reason that she yeah. had that phobia,
1: you know? And good for her for saying, you know what, I've found a place where I'm comfortable and I've I'm gonna celebrate that victory. And you know, if she wants to work on that in the future, she can, but wow, what an accomplishment. Not being able to drive on the highway at all. Now able to drive on the highway for an hour and yeah, maybe go a little slower than the semi. But that's it's not like she's just, you know, going forty miles an hour on the shoulder. She's doing just fine. And so I always hate when people act like breath work is some kind of magic. You know, it's like, like a magical cure. You you do need to do the work. And you do need to be aware of yourself and understand that parts of you are going to protest, especially whenever it's behavior changes. They're going to protest. They're going to say, this is not what we do. We can't do this. This is going to hurt. This is going to kill me. And it's going to be uncomfortable. But when you're willing to do the work, breath work can do things that other things just can't do. And that's the beauty of it
0: hmm If I think this is the best place to end, which is people are always like, okay, cool, Jesse, you've shared some interesting things, but I'm not exactly sure how I want to get started or what would you recommend to someone for just like exploring this a little
1: bit? So there's a few things. Of course, I would, I would recommend my book. It's a practical guide to breathwork. I, I give you my full, my story. I give you kind of like an explanation as far as what's going on with the nervous system. And then there's like 20 techniques, maybe more. I forget how many there. I mean, there's a lot of... Te- the second half of the book is techniques. So, if you want to experiment with that, that's a great place to start. I also have an online course and a miniature online course of The Language of Breath. So, my full deep dive course is seven weeks. It's an hour a week. I mean, we're talking like you're going to be a pro by the time you're done. But maybe you're like, you know, I just want to kind of dip my toes... I've got a one hour course. It's called The Foundations of the Language of Breath. It's only fifty bucks and it's on my website, jessiecoomer.com, and you can find it there. Those are some resources that but if you want to get past the clickbait, just one simple trick, you know, the Google search, what's a what's a breathing technique for this, right? If you want to actually make the the changes that you really want to see and you want to take it seriously, those are the resources that that I highly I I worked very hard to to produce. And uh, the good news is I've got a lot of satisfied (laughs) reviews. So those are the resources that I've got for you. And of course, if you can attend a deep dive, like a retreat or something like that with a qualified breath worker, whether it's myself or not, you know, those are great ways to get started.
0: Yeah, perfect. I was going to ask you where people can find you online, but it's jessiecoomer.com. Anywhere else?
1: jessiecoomer.com. You can also go to languageofbreathcollective.com. And that is if, if you'd like to even train to become a breath worker, I, I have a class every year. This class for 2023 is already full, but uh we'll be taking enrollments for 2024 in the near future. And then you can always find me on the old Instagram, Jesse Coomer Breath is my handle. And uh you can find out what kind of antics I'm up to. I was, warning there's dad jokes a lot of times out there is and but yeah, always always a good place to find out what I'm up to. Perfect. Thanks
0: so much for coming on today.
1: It's been a pleasure.
0: Food sensitivities, low energy, and skin issues can all be caused by inflammation. The root cause of inflammation is immune system imbalance. So how do you bring the immune system into balance to correct inflammatory symptoms like food sensitivities, low energy, skin issues, and a cascade of other things no one seems to have the answer to, like being sick more often than you should be, having consistently low vitamin D, B12, iron, salt, and or sugar cravings, puffiness in your face or extremities, needing a daily antihistamine, losing hair, but your labs are normal. The answer to these things is immune resilience, and that's the overarching goal I have when working with one-on-one clients. So how could I help? Well, I found that you want the answer to everything, so I try to be as comprehensive as possible to be a one-stop shop. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to focus on weight loss because I'm not, but I will focus on the subclinical things that are often preventing weight loss or causing resistance, just for example. But big picture, I love helping people with these nitty gritty weird symptoms that are falling through the cracks everywhere else under that inflammatory umbrella. I want to help you with as much as possible in the time we have together. So I try to include everything I need to do that or I'm transparent about what I don't include. So what I usually include are a couple of labs, both gut and nutrient labs. You can always add on more if you want or if it's needed, but I try to keep it streamlined and efficient to start. I also include one-on-one interpretation and step-by-step personalized protocols. We will tell you exactly what to do and what you can expect for results and timelines. And support between appointments. I have weekly office hours, messaging, and training so you can understand the basics and ask advanced questions in our face-to-face time you're welcome to take as much or as little as you want. You can think of it like an all-you-can-eat buffet, but you can graze here or there as needed as you need support between appointments. And if we don't hear from you, we'll even check in to make sure things are going okay and that things aren't falling through the cracks. If you're a past client and if you need anything, you're welcome to book a call too if it's been more than a year since I've seen you. And if I need a context of anything that's going on with you right now, I am taking clients currently the last time until fall. So right now I'm accepting calls. We'll ship out our testing or your testing in May and really get started in June. So if you want to maximize this season and bring your body into balance, you can go to kristabigler.com or check the show notes and click on that program page to apply and book an intro call